Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Abby Rancor and I am your host. This is our Bible episode for this week. So we are going over, it was supposed to be Esther 9 through Psalms 9, but last week I gave an entire like overview of Esther because I have already done an in-depth podcast about Esther. Um, and that is posted on, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast, but just scroll back um, a couple months. And if you see one called The History of Purim and the Story of Esther, go into that because I go through um, the entire book of Esther and her story and why Purim is celebrated. So um, we are going to start then with the next book, which is Job. And so we end up going actually this episode from Job 1 to Psalms 9. And um, I'll get into the Bible stuff in just a minute, but I do want to just give a quick update. Last week, I mentioned that me and one of my best friends started an embroidery slash cross-stitching shop um, on Etsy, and we have an Instagram and all of that. And I just want to announce that we have made our first sale, like, from with an external customer. Woo! We sold you know, a couple of cross-stitch patterns to like my family members and her family members and stuff like that to get the store started. But I can proudly say that we have made some sales that are not just family members. So we are off to the races. We are up and running and I am so excited. We had a great business meeting this morning where we planned all of the things that we were going to post on Instagram, all the things we're going to stitch. We have so many great ideas. I'm so excited. So if you are into cross-stitching at all, go check out the shop. It's called Stitchin' Buffs. And even if you're not into cross-stitching, if you want to get into cross-stitching, any of that kind of thing, it is so fun. So go follow us on Stitchin' Buffs on Instagram and go check out our store. Favoriting items really, really helps. And if you want a pattern, our patterns are top-notch. There's a few fall ones that are coming that I will be making and I cannot wait. So... That is the announcements. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else I need to announce. Um, I don't think so, other than I have been playing tennis again, like more regularly, I would say, and it is so fun. So just a public service announcement. If you have a hobby that you haven't picked up in a while or have a sport or something like that, go play it and go do it because it is just, it just makes life better when you are doing things you enjoy on a regular basis. Um, okay, let's get into the Bible stuff. Honestly, this Bible reading part was tough. I don't know. I, I say this for every Old Testament book that I don't know if I've read the book like all the way through or in the context of the Old Testament and stuff like that. Job, I have. I do very vividly remember reading Job. I think when I was in high school and I read it a couple times, but I, a lot of my memory of it has, you know, slipped uh, in that amount of time. And so when I was rereading Job, I just, I don't know. I want to say I like every book of the Bible, like, because you should, I guess. Like, I feel like I should say that I like every book because obviously it's God's word. And so all of it is important. But reading this was really tough because I think he's just in such a low point for so, so long. So I'll give an overview. Well, no, I guess I'll just go by each chapter um, like we normally do. So let's just start with that. So Job 1, it opens with saying that there was a man who lived in Uz, uh, U-Z, I think that's how you pronounce it. 
Um, and his name was Job, so that he's obviously our main character. It said he was perfect and upright. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had lots of sheep and camel. He had 7,000 sheep um, and I think 7,000 camels. And he just had a bunch of wealth. He had a great household. And he constantly sacrificed or like made sacrifices on behalf of his family in case they've sinned. So he would say like, well, in case my sons have sinned, I'm going to sacrifice this. And so he was very, very upright, very blessed. And he was by all accounts sinless because he continually repented and um, made sacrifices for his sins. So one day Satan came to God and said, oh, you've blessed him so much, but of course he's going to bless you because you've blessed him like he wouldn't sin or um say anything bad about you because you've blessed him so much there's no reason there's no struggle in his life to continue um blessing him through so he says strike everything he has and surely he will curse you so satan puts like a bet in with god and says i bet he will curse you if you take things away from him and he says god says very well then Everything he has is in your power, but you have to spare his life. And I wrote in my notes, I don't like this very much. I think this is like a literary technique where, I don't know, it seems weird that God would accept a bet from Satan saying like, yeah, let's send him terrible, terrible things and make his life hell, basically. And let's just see if he curses you or blesses you seems odd. I don't know if it's like a literary technique where it's like a lot of things happen to Job and then they make this story that Satan talked to God and had this bet thing or if it's like if that's something that literally can happen that Satan can just go to God and make a bet about if you'll um, bless him or not. But that kind of always throws me off and I, I don't know why that would be a thing that God would do. Um, so I might have to, like, I've tried to look up Bible commentary about this and it always seems like everyone's confused. And so I might need to just keep that in the back of my mind about this and, and keep looking for more research or reasons. I think it was just because, like, God knows that Job is so righteous and so he knows that he won't curse him. And so he is allowing um, these bad things to teach Job some lessons and to eventually bless him more. I'm going to go with that until I, <laughs> like, until there's other commentary that I see. So then they said, okay, well, God says, okay, you can go and take away all that he has basically, but you have to spare his life. So all at once, they're all feasting, his sons and daughters and everyone's feasting and servants or messengers come back from many different parts of like his life or what what they're managing and they said okay this group attacked and took all of your dachshund or all of your oxen and donkeys fire burned up the sheep and the, and the servants another group took off with your camels and killed all the rest of the servants and then wind swept through and collapsed a house that all of your sons and daughters were in and they're all dead and it said that Job fell to the ground in worship. So he started grieving and stuff, but then it didn't say that he fell to the ground just grieving. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
may the name of the Lord be praised. So even when his entire family was killed, except for his wife, like all of his kids, all of his servants, all of his animals, all of his wealth is taken away and he still is worshiping. So very impressive. I don't know that that would be almost anyone's reaction to this, but it is important. It shows us that even in the bad, really bad times, God, worship is a way to go. Okay, Job 2, Satan went back to God and said, surely he will curse your face if you strike his flesh. And so God says, again, sure, you can do that, but you must spare his life. So he was afflicted with painful sores. And this was gross. Job said that, or it said that Job took a piece of pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife encouraged him to just curse God and die. She's like, this is too much. Just like, why are you still saying faithful? Just curse God so you can die. And he says, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Like, you can't just have it one way. Sometimes following God will have trouble, and you have to accept both. Okay, so then three of his friends came and sat with him for seven days, and they saw how great his suffering was, and so they said no words for seven days. Job 3, um, it says, Job cursed the day of his birth. A lot of these are very long, kind of repetitive, literary technique like poems almost so so sometimes I summarize it with like one sentence but it's really like 25 sentences that say you know Job cursed the day of his birth it's just saying it in a in many different ways but essentially Job 3 just says he cursed the day of his birth and he said if I had died then then I would be lying in peace now and I wouldn't have to go through this so after the seven days of being quiet Job's friends decide to speak and his friends honestly a little bit suck he says his friend one of his friends says you're a hypocrite because well i'm summarizing the one of his friends calls him a hypocrite because he says he's impatient in affliction he said you've instructed many you've supported many you've helped those who have stumbled um you should have confidence in your piety and aren't your ways blameless like you would not be going through this if you weren't a sinner because Job keeps saying he's righteous he hasn't done anything wrong and then his friend says well you wouldn't be going through this if you weren't a sinner so um you're pretty much a hypocrite Job 5 that whole speech continues and it says uh people bring trouble on themselves he tells Job to turn to God and he says happy is the man whom God corrects for he bruises but he binds up so a lot of what Job's friends say seem correct. Like they say, look at all this power of God. Look at how amazing he is. Look at how good. And then they veer off a left course and they're like, they call him a hypocrite and they blame him and rebuke him even though he's sinless. So it's kind of interesting to try to like wade through what the friends say because half of it seems theologically correct and then half of it seems off course. So Job 6, he, Job says his misery cannot be weighed, um, like it can't be weighed on scales, it's just so heavy. He said, what strength do I have that I should still hope? His friends are undependable. He goes on a very long rant about how his friends are undependable, and he basically just says that he has done nothing wrong to deserve all of this. In Job 7, he says that he's suffering, but it's futile. So it's not like he's suffering and working and then there's going to be a reward at the end. He said there's, he is suffering and working and working. And even at night, he can't get any peace because um, there's nightmares that are being sent to him. He can't sleep peacefully. He just wants death so he can f 
finally rest and not be so much in pain. Now, I was hoping that the book of Job was was kind of short because like part of this was so sad. Like he's so down and so suffering so hard. And I was like, okay, God surely must come soon. But this goes on for like 42 chapters is the whole book of Job. And God answers in the last like five. So we have a while until God answers. Um, but he just is lamenting that like, why has God made me a target of this? And I don't even know why. Okay, then in Job 8, his other friend says, Job, you're wrong. You must have sinned because God blesses those who don't sin and he curses those who sin. So like, it's just very straightforward and says, okay, well, you must have sinned. And Job 9, Job says, how can I argue with God that I am blameless? He has so much power. And he said, although I am blameless, I despise my own life. He repeats that he's in agony. He doesn't care for his own life. And so um, he accuses God of destroying the innocent because like, if he's wrong, what else could he take away? There's really no risk. And so he just says like, he doesn't care for his life. And so he's going to accuse God of just destroying the innocent. He says in the next verse, Job 10, he says, I loathe my life, so I will give free reign to my complaint. He says, do not declare me guilty. Tell me what charges you have against me. Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? And this is where I was like, oh my gosh, this is so sad. Like, can you imagine being literally perfect your whole life, giving these sacrifices, doing all this stuff, like being actually perfect? I mean, sinning, but like being so devout and making all these sacrifices and all this stuff so that you are considered righteous in the eyes of the Lord. You've done this your whole life, led your whole family like that, and then suddenly everyone dies, everything dies, all your stuff is gone, and you have no idea why, and God's not answering you. That seems terrible. And this was when I was like, oh, this is so sad. Like, I don't like this book. This book also is really hard to read, in my opinion, because of all the kind of literary techniques and like the repeats and stuff. It's kind of hard to to decipher the actual point when you're reading through it sometimes. And so it's like you're waiting through to get to the point. But once you get to the point, it's it's good and the book becomes a lot better. Um, but it got it took some getting used to like when I started reading this. Okay, Job 11 says next. Uh, then there was another friend who also calls him a sinner and says to repent. And I wrote in my notes, this would be so annoying if you knew you didn't sin. Like again, not only does he have everything taken away and he was sinless, but he knows that he's sinless. And then he has these dopey friends saying like, well, if you didn't sin, then you wouldn't be going through this. Like he's now getting lectured by fools and he didn't sin and he has basically nothing. So I was feeling pretty bad for Job here. Job 12 says, um, Job says, hey, you are not better than me. I am not inferior to you. I have become a laughingstock to my friends. And then he says, both the deceived and the deceiver are his. He still stay, stays faithful. Um, but then in Job 13, he says, you smear me with lies. You are all worthless physicians. He is calling out his friends. They're very straightforward. Um, and then Job asks why God is hiding from him and won't tell him any of his sins like Job wants to know his sins if he has any but he just like God won't answer him 
Um, okay, Job 14. Job talks about how quick life is. It's like a flower that withers away. He said, at least there's hope for a tree because you, if you, you know, if a tree is cut down, it can sprout again. Um, like plants, if they're cut, they can sprout again. But humans, it's like you die and that's it. There's no more. And so I, I wrote in my notes, throwing a big pity party, which honestly is kind of not fair because he is, he's definitely throwing a big pity party, but it's kind of warranted because of what's happening. But, um, I wouldn't say it's super like admirable, admirable, like it's understandable, but probably not the goal. Um, then another friend, so there's three friends and I didn't write the name of each one because I don't know if it's that important. They're all kind of as a group kind of dopey. So I just says friend says that Job is arrogant in Job 15. He said, do you know something that we don't know? Were you born before the hills? He's like, you're so arrogant. You don't know if you didn't sin. You don't know God. You don't know any of this stuff. Like you're, you know, they're, they're like legitimately fighting these friends. Job 16, Job talks back to his friends and said, God has delivered me to the ungodly, which was like a dig at his friends. He said, oh, you've delivered me to the ungodly, like these ungodly people. And he says that he wishes again that a man could plead with God because he really wants to plead his case, the fact that he's innocent and that he does not deserve all this. Um, Job 17 is just more about how Job is sad and broken like very broken. I mean, this goes on for a really long time. This is another kind of downside of Job is like the sadness part happens for a very, very long time. Job 18 says Bildad, which is one of his friends, is offended and said, the wicked suffer and will not be remembered. So again, there's just this theme of Job saying he's innocent, the friend saying he must have done something wrong and blaming him. And this just goes back and forth for kind of a long time. Job 19, uh, in, well, okay. In Job 19, Job complains about his friends and said that God has estranged him. Like none of his, the old people that he, you know, used to be esteemed with, uh, or esteemed by, um, will talk to him. He, they've estranged him and he's sad, but then all of a sudden his faith kind of shines through again. And it says, um, he, says, I know my redeemer lives and then starts praising the Lord again in the middle of this, which is a very good, um, example for us that like in a difficult time again, like when his whole family died, he praised the Lord in worship. And so here it is again, he's like way deep in despair. And he says, I know that my redeemer lives in Job 20. Um, Zophar, who is, uh, I think another one of the the three friends says the triumph of the wicked is short-lived wickedness and injustice is described using the imagery of venom um a violent death awaits the wicked man so um yeah that is uh job 20 so yeah let's see okay job 21 he said, why should I not be impatient? Why do the wicked live on and grow old? How often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How can you console me with your nonsense? Nothing is left of your answers but falsehood. So I just took like a few snippets of what he said and put them all together. But he's like, he's getting fed up with these friends. These friends suck. Like he, he goes, oh, 
you know, it's unfair that the wicked are thriving and I am righteous and I am like this in despair. And why are the wicked living so long and being seemingly being blessed? And then he just says like, you guys are giving terrible advice and there is only falsehood in your answer. Job 22, the, another friend said, what would he gain? What, like, what would God gain if your ways were blameless? Blameless. He does not care. Are your, are not your sins endless? And then he starts blaming him with specific sins. He said, you withheld food from the hungry. You didn't give water to the thirsty. You were evil. And then he says to submit to God and prosperity will come to him. So it made it very clear in the beginning of this that Job did not, in fact, withhold food from the hungry or, you know, he was helping people. He um, was, again, blameless in Job 1. And now his friend is trying to find specific sins that Job has committed. Job 23, Job said he would go to God if he could find him. And he's getting really annoyed that he can't go and talk to God. He's not hearing from him. He's like, where is he? Um, and he's getting very, like, he feels very alone. He says he, he stands alone. Who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. So he's just saying like, God can do whatever. No one can even find him. He, he, there's no even reasoning with him. Job 24, um, Job talks about how the wicked oppress the poor and the wicked perform their deeds in the cover of darkness. It's like, a security blanket for them that they kind of perform their deeds like in the cover of the dark and their deeds are not brought to light. Job 25, Bildad says, how can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? He's like, everyone's a sinner anyway. It doesn't matter. You're not righteous. So again, it's just this bickering back and forth between Job and his friends. Job 26, Job talks about the absolute power of God and all of his creation. Like he talks about the splendor of the earth and how he's created all of this and the universe and everything like that. And then says how faint the whisper we hear of him, who can even understand his power. So that seems legitimate uh, to me. Um, a lot of the friends have talked about the power of God, but then again, like they make like a sharp left and then blame Job for things he never did. So that is not good, but... Um, Job seems to be doing it kind of the right way here. In Job 27, he says, even though he has made my life bitter, I will not say anything wicked and I will maintain my innocence. Job then reiterates that the wicked do not prosper in the long term. So we see his faithfulness, like there's, he, he's distraught, right? But he, he never curses God. And then even though he's complaining and he's like, who can do this? And why would he do this? And all of that stuff. Then these, we get these glimpses of like, him worshiping and him kind of rededicating to God and says, okay, I, even though he has done this, I will not say anything wicked. Okay. Then Job 28 is an interlude. It says where wisdom is found. That is the, um, title of that one. And it said, it's a very long kind of poem thing that says that wisdom cannot be bought. Humans can't actually find it. Uh, like physically, it won't be found in a mine or anything like that. And it, but it's very, very valuable. It says only God knows where it dwells. And the last um, sentence says the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding. So very good reminder about how valuable wisdom is and the fact that the fear of the Lord is where wisdom comes from. So um, very good set of reminders in here. 
Okay, Job 29, it says Job's final defense. That's the title. He's in Job 29, this is kind of, his final defense is split into a couple parts. So it's from Job 29 to 31. And Job says in 29 that he is really yearning for his former life. It says that he, you know, he used to have um, all this esteem and he used to have uh, people that loved him and all of this stuff. And he's just really yearning for that former, former life. Then in Job 30, he continues in the same speech, but it's split up by chapter. And he says, you know, no one, um, no one really respects me anymore. Young men mock me. Uh, he's banished from really from society. He's ostracized. He's alone. He has no kids. So he kind of does a before and after of his life. In Job 31, he keeps pleading to God and saying, um, if I have sinned, let this all happen to me, but God find me blameless. And then he lists out all these sins that he has not done. Um, and so I'm just going to read a couple because they're very good. So he says, if I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, if I have denied justice to any of my servants, male or female, um, if I have denied the desires of the poor, if I have kept bread to myself, if I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless in a court. Oh, my thing just scrolled very weirdly. If I, okay, this is an important one. If I have put my trust in gold or said to gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, if I have regarded the sun in its radiance, um, if I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune. So he, he lists all these ones. The money one is very convicting, I think, because, you know, that tends to be a lot of people's idols. I think it definitely tends to be like mine where I'm ultra focused on, I wouldn't say ultra focused on money, but I'm definitely, it's, I'm definitely conscious of it. And if you keep it like unchecked, I feel like money can definitely become a god and you can feel secure just because you have money not secure in god so that's a very good reminder for everyone i think um especially yeah if you're if you're doing well um and you you think oh i'm secure because i have money you know that's something that that job lists as a sin that he has not done okay then this is kind of the more annoying part of Job, there's another friend. So the whole other time this has been, or like the whole rest of the book, it's been rotating between three of Job's friends. And so everyone will kind of say their thing and it'll go back to Job and it'll go to another friend, back to Job, another friend, back to Job. And there's been three friends mentioned. But now there's a fourth one. His name is Elihu. And he became angry with Job for, it says, justifying himself rather than God. He's also angry with the other three friends because they did not refute Job, but condemned him anyway. And then there's a very long announcement about how he's waited to speak because he's the youngest, but now he feels like he needs to speak. And um, he goes on for a very long time about that. He continues that in Job 33, but then... In Job 33 through 37 is a full Elihu speech. He's talking about how um, 
how Job must receive God's messenger, that um, Job thinks that he is sinless, but he's not. Uh, Elihu says that Job has accused God, even though he has not accused God. Um, he said that God is just... See, so some of the things, again, like, are correct. Like, Elihu says that God is just and impartial, which is true, but but he's doing that in order to turn around and say that Job is a sinner and that he has done a bunch of things wrong, and that's why this is happening to him. Um, okay, so then Elihu says, do you think you're more righteous than God? God is further above you than you can imagine. Um, and he just says that he's too proud. God doesn't want to hear empty talk. So Elihu just is basically another friend. He, he kind of goes along the same lines of the other three friends, but it's just four chapters in a row of him talking. Uh, then, so after Elihu's speech in 38, chapter 38, God speaks. And this is very, uh, this is great. So in this, God just basically says like, what do you know? You don't know how I work. Um, so let me read a little section of this because I like this. Okay, so he says, and uh, this is Job 38. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Okay, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who outstretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? So he's basically saying, like, you don't know anything about me. You weren't there when I created the universe. My ways are way higher than your ways. All of that. He's He is really, it seems, very convicting. <laughs> um... He's just saying, you're, you're a human, and I'm God, and I know the plan for you. I know the plan for the whole universe. I created everything, and you are not in charge here. So that happens, 38 and 39 is more questions about, like, nature and, and the earth and his creation and stuff like that. Um, so God's speech continues into Job 40 and says, uh, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Um, would you condemn me? Let's see. Um, yeah, okay, so it's just more about his might and his creation and all of that. So that really, his whole speech really goes from 38 to 41. Those chapters are all God speaking about, like, saying, what do you guys know? You don't know everything that I do or the reasons. And then I want to read Job 42, like, at least this one part of it, because I really thought it was a great way, uh, like a great example. So, so God is, is saying all of this stuff, saying how Job is wrong and how he doesn't know his ways, things like that. And it would be very easy for Job to get defensive because he has like built himself up as this sinless, uh, person and how he's done everything right. But then let's see if this will go in Job 42 is a great example of repentance once God is discipling or disciplining you. And there was another example of that in um, last week's uh, chunk of scripture. So there's many good uh, examples of this repentance. But 
It says, Job 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So he's, he does say, like, I was speaking a lot about you, about things I did not know, and he repents. So then um, the Lord said to the two friends, two, two of the friends, and says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant. So... They're supposed to bring a sacrifice to Job. Job will pray for them. Everyone will be forgiven. But Job has spoken the truth and not the other four friends. Um, and then Job prayed for his friends and it said the Lord had restored the fortunes that uh, he had given him. So it was twice as much as he had before. So instead of like 7,000 donkeys, he had 14. He um, again had 10 kids and everything was restored and he was even more blessed than he was at first. So that is a good reminder, A, that God restores, B, he'll restore more than you had in the first place, and C, like we we know God's ways because of the Bible, but we don't know every single thing about God, and we never will until we are with him after we die. <laughs> and so being, I guess, letting the Lord teach you things is of the utmost importance, and repenting when he is disciplining you or teaching you something is the way to go. So Job was a tough book to read just because of the style for me, but there are so many good lessons in Job that it it's worth it to read. Um, okay, so I said we were going to go to Psalms 9, but Psalms are like a song. It's like a book of songs. If you're not familiar with Psalms, um, it's just a book of songs, most of them written by King David, I believe. And so instead of going through all of them, because um, it's going to get very repetitive and boring, like next week it's like 75 psalms I have to read. So instead of doing that and being getting very, very repetitive, I'm just going to read a couple of my favorite ones. So this week I'm going to read Psalms 1 and 3 because there are some great reminders in here and things that I wanted to bring up. And then next week I'll just go through and do the same thing with reading my favorite ones and pulling out some lessons. So um, Psalms 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight, but those, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So, good reminder again. This is like kind of goes along with Job. It says, you know, the way of the wicked does lead to destruction. Job was not actually wicked, and so that's why he ended up being prosperous. The Lord allowed some bad things in his life for a season. I kind of hate the term season now because I think it's overdone in the the Christian church, but he, he let 
bad things happened for a time, but in the long term, he blessed him even double what he had before. But the ways of the wicked leads to destruction. And that's why we need to be constantly running after the truth, meditating on the law or on the, the word of the Lord and um, so and not run towards wickedness. Okay, the last one I want to read is Psalms 3 because I really like that one. All the other ones are really good too, 4 through 9, but they're um, kind of repetitive about like uh, King David battling and, and praying that he will be victorious and praising God and things like that. So this is a good summary one, and it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom, which we read about a couple books ago. So it says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. For the Lord comes... From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I like the part where it says, um, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. The only reason we wake up every morning is because the Lord cho like chose to get us up in the morning. The Lord is truly our sustenance. And that is a very, very good reminder. So, that is all I have for this week. That was my Bible episode. If you're following along with the reading, uh, go to Psalms 9. Um, but next week is actually going to be Psalms 10 through Psalm 78. So it's like 68 Psalms. Usually I don't read 68 Psalms in a row. The way I typically read the Bible when I'm in a good routine is like one chapter from the Old Testament, one from the New, uh, and a psalm or proverb. So actually, typically I do a psalm a day, a proverb a day, and then a gospel a day. And that's why I've kind of neglected the Old Testament on accident. So, um, but yeah, psalms are kind of hard to read like all right in a row. So um, pick your favorite psalms and maybe meditate on those. I'll be reading all 78 to pull out some of my favorites and I will read those next week. And next week, we also may actually get caught up. I don't know if you remember a while back, I missed a Bible episode. So technically, we are one week behind. I may combine next week's to go from Psalms 10 to Proverbs 3. So just basically read the entire book of Psalms, pull out my favorite Psalms, and then read the first couple Proverbs. Um, and I think that will be our, a good catch-up week since I'm not going to summarize every single psalm for you guys. So anyway, that is all for this week. Again, make sure to go check out the Etsy shop. Make sure to go follow me on Instagram, Abby Rancor. And um, I've been a little bit slacking on YouTube, but I'm really trying to get into a groove with like cross-stitching and podcasting and YouTubing and all that stuff. So I will be more regular on all of them. Sorry that this is one day late, but um, we're still getting in the groove here. So I will talk to you guys on Monday and I'm not sure about the topic yet because I wanted to do something about like a history one, like the history of the first ladies and their causes or something like that, some sort of historical one. But all that stuff happened in Afghanistan this last week with the Taliban taking over um, 
you know, Kabul and, and things like that. And I want to understand the conflict in Afghanistan more than I do. I want to comment on it and talk about it and stuff like that, but I just am not as educated as I should be. So if I can get up to speed on that, you know, by Monday, that might be the topic. If not, it might come the next week. But I just really want to make sure that I actually know what I'm talking about before I go and do a whole podcast episode about it. So um, stay tuned for that. And I will talk to you on Monday. Bye, everyone. Have a great weekend.